Tonight, nothing is unknowable. Our investigation sends us all the way to America's heartland, Kansas. So we go around the kitchen, so cock-a-doodle-doo. It's episode five of the Unbelievable After Show, and it starts right now. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the Perfect. ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. How is everyone doing? My name is Lobo Voice, and you are tuned into the episode five after show for the Netflix original, unbelievable, sprawling crime epic that is crossing state lines. We have a lot to talk about today, but before we do, I want to introduce my co-host of this afternoon. Give it up for the man himself, Jack Farmer. How are you doing, Jack? I am doing good. Did you say cock-a-doodle-doo? Cock-a-doodle-doo. Was it just me, or was that song slapping? It was. It actually was. I was like, okay, yeah. Actually, I, thought it, I thought it was silly at first, but by the time it was over, I was kind of cock-a-doodle-doo. I was yeah, I saved it to my Spotify playlist. Uh, yeah, we're, we're episode five. We're, we're over the, the middle point of this season. I mean, just the way things are shaping out now, just let me know what you think about today's episode in relation to other episodes this season. This one felt like the cops finally got some wins. They finally got some W's on this one. They they got the shoe. They got the glove. They've, they've kind of narrowed things down further, seen things happening in other states. We're starting to finally put the pieces together. Yeah. And so it felt like a really good episode in that regard. It did have a very feel-good moment about it. Even the, the auxiliary members of the team, Elias and Mia, each contributing to the, the main the main mystery here. But mm-hmm. the episode really starts off going back almost with both Duval and Rasmussen looking up at the Lily uh, case uh, and how she was interacting with Detective Harkness, which was the assigned detective there. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to the nitty-gritty of all of that, but I just want to know your just impressions of the interplay between Lily and Harkness and the two detectives. I just your overall thoughts. My, my first thought with Lily was, are we sure she lives in Colorado and not Los Angeles? She was a very uh, L.A. person. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting that they both went their own ways. It felt a little bit like the team that had really started gelling together started to fall apart a little bit. Not mm-hmm. a lot, but it was interesting how they both did their own thing. And then when they came back together, Duvall was saying... Why didn't you tell me you had a sketch? Now, the sketch wasn't anything special, but it was interesting that they were doing things that the other one didn't know about again. True. And it goes back to the theme where we're saying how they're not adversarial, but they're kind of complementary in that sort of kind of way, even though there was like a little bit of an inkling of a giant fight that was quickly diffused, which I thought was pretty awesome. Uh, right. I just I want to go more into to Harkness, right? So we had a bit of a characterization from Lily's mom in the last episode saying, oh, that guy was worthless. He's a, you know, he's a POS. And mm-hmm. Lily didn't like him that much much either but it seems very in this situation he knew Harkness knew he made mistakes almost he's like almost sympathetic is that too bold to say I think to a degree yes this was interesting because when I first heard that Harkness didn't do a good job I was kind of rolling my eyes thinking great another cop that let someone get away because they didn't believe the person who and what they were saying but I did like how they showed Lily and what she was saying in her testimony. And as a viewer, again, if you were to take yourself away from the knowledge we know that Harkness didn't have, you would say, Lily does seem kind of crazy. Okay. And so I did like that they showed why she would be someone you don't believe, which again is the whole point of the show. Uh, but also I did like that Harkness wasn't just hard-headed about it. He did say, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have made that asked that question. Maybe I shouldn't have done with those the kava things. kava. With the kava kava, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is is a I believe is a fair mistake to make. I don't know anything about kava kava. I, I don't either. Be, I learned about that today in this show. That was this show taught me about it. So if I had just heard of that, that'd be the first question I have. Which I think the show does a good job of making you second guess things that you know are true, but also 
making you second guess it with like, well, I, I guess I get where he's coming from. Yeah, to me, it was it was very interesting. Uh, we talked about this in other episodes, how this show is aces about subverting tropes and, and stereotypes or things we're used to in other um, forms of uh, fictional media. So, you, again, we had I had the preconceived notion that, you know, Harkness was this guy who was just too harried or not even in the zone. But it, And then you talk about his background and his reasons for doing things. Yeah, he made some, some mistakes, some even critical ones. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, at least he's had a certain kind of wiggle room for the audience. Not to say he was right in how he acted, but then some members of our audience can say, I see why he did what he did. Which makes things complicated, but in a good way. This shows that not everything is cut and dry. Right. What this show does that we, I don't think we've talked about before, at least from, from what I've seen, is it's not just an interesting story and it's not just showing us police work, but in a lot of ways it's educational. This show has really presented a lot of things and a lot of viewpoints about the, this terrible type of situation that I don't think a lot of us really think about. Going back to the last episode when uh, Rasmussen was saying the signs that say, be on the lookout beware of a rapist out there don't work because the only people that read them are the people who are already worried. And the Uh, people who don't worry are the ones that go, oh, that's terrible. I think that was the show saying, you need to pay attention to these things. Right. Uh, I think guys like Harkness, it's the show telling us, just because someone has some weird ways of thinking doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to them in these things. And there's a lot of things that I think the show is really, in a way, even in this episode with Taggart and not to jump ahead, but with the whole sexism thing and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. The show does a really good job of shining a light on these things, but without being too on the nose and obvious about, here's a message we're trying to send. The point is actually moot, but do you think it was a mistake for Harkness to tell Lily, hey, listen, since your guy wore a mask, we're not going to do the police sketch? I felt that was kind of a glaring omission there, that at least, at least for the sake of like bedside manner, that would have been something I would have done, even if I wasn't sure if someone was guilty or not. I think it's something that she wanted to do one. I mean, it's hard to say. I don't know how valuable the police sketches are to begin with, but it doesn't seem like it would hurt. But, of course, I'm not looking at budgets and having to ask a guy to come out to draw a face of a mask. Yeah. Uh, But I I agree. I think just if someone's gone through a lot and and you think it might help, you never know. I guess the police are always saying you never know what might come out from recounting something or retelling something or redoing something. So – just using that logic, yeah, I think it was a mistake. They should should have had her do it because she may have mentioned something like something on the mask or something about the mask or the eyes or who knows. Yeah, I definitely think that Lily was on edge. Uh, she actually mentioned a time was now you know as a patrol incident where she thought someone was outside and she uh, had a cop come to her door and it turns out that the cop was holding uh, this flashlight like how her attacker held a knife, which she believed that's the reason why she believes a cop did it for her. Um, even though Harkness said, "Hey, look, there's no way because this person was you know on vacation the first time you were attacked." Just thoughts about that of how she Lily came to a conclusion that perhaps this may be a, a cop doing it, but her own certain kind of character-based way. Yeah, I thought it was it was fun how they did keep her consistent with her character and have her actually be correct about something, even though she was correct about it in a weird, her, her kind of way. Uh, I also love how the show gave us just another little taste of, could this be the person? Nope. No, it's not. Because yeah. that's what the police are going through this whole time. And so you as a viewer get to have that, oh, that's the guy. Oh, no, it's not the guy. Yeah. Oh, that's the guy. No, that's not the guy. And that's exactly what Duvall and Rasmussen are going through right now. And so that's a really cool thing that the 
this the show, the director, the the writers, and everyone have really been able to do for us as viewers. I'm not asking you to do a hard prediction now, but in your list of potential suspects as a viewer, has, has it changed any? Do you think there's less people on your list of suspects? Are there more people here in play? I don't think there's anyone that I really think is a suspect yet. I don't know if I think we've seen the actual uh, rapist yet. I think he's still hiding. I'd be shocked if it was one of the people who we've seen so far because we don't have a whole lot of characters that fit the description that we've seen. I think the only one that stands out to me as a character that could fit that description would be Duval's husband, but even then, Max the Knife, he doesn't have the same color hair. Absolutely. So he he wouldn't even actually technically fit that description. So let's talk about that that sketch scene for a second because it was kind of played up for laughs or laughs depending on where you look at this kind of program. Mm-hmm. Um, which said that hey look, there's a guy in a mask. There's no way to return that. But before that, there was a little bit of a character play between Duval and Rasmussen about where they fit in each other's lives and each other's investigation. Uh, do you feel for Duval? Do you think she's saying like is she becoming a bit irrational or is that the kind of a thing where no look we are partners. You have to give me the trust that you don't give me. Uh, going on your own. It actually makes a lot of sense that she's the one trying to keep the team together because when you look at the way the the two police officers or the two detectives were set up before they met, uh, Duval had a team. She had a little task force. She was in the smaller station, but she did have her little crew of people where every time we've seen Grace, she's basically been on her own mm-hmm. except with her uh, forensic sidekick over there and, and the, the intern who's Rosemary new. Rosemary and Ro- Elias. Uh, yeah. Uh, besides them, but even then, they're not ever... It seems like they're just sort of taking things from her, working on it, and giving it back. Where Duval always had a team, and so she definitely has the more. She also has the fan, like the kids, and so I think she just has the more. We are a team. We're into this together. Where Grace is, is for lack of a better term, the loose cannon, the one that wants to be off on her own, solving cases in the field, doing things. And yeah. I think the show does a good job of showing how those personalities clash. Right. Uh, we're jumping ahead of, of a little bit here, but there was that moment later on where it was like, look, we are on the same side, Duval was saying. Uh, uh, and, and basically, Grace had to come around. So I know last episode you said you're Team Duval. Is that still the case? Yeah, I think she's the, still the MVP of this team, of this show. She's the one that still seems to be bringing the most information to the table and seems to be cracking most of the the code so far. Yeah. And also, again, I think if you took her out of the equation, I think you'd end up with a very similar situation as all the other rape cases where you'd have Grace eventually just go off on her own, much like all the other detectives have over the past, and it would fall apart. With Duval, she's the one tying everything together. That's a good point. Uh, before we move on, I'll make like a quick announcement. This here is AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. And from humble beginnings, we grew to be one of the largest digital powerhouses in the world, and we did it with your help. So if you're watching the show right now on YouTube, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, share the show with all your friends on cross-social media platforms, because we love when you do that. And if you're like me, like listen to the podcast the day after, you know, just get in my car, drive around a little bit. We're actually available on iTunes, too. Uh, leave a comment there. Give us a five-star rating. Make sure you share with us how you feel. That's how we can improve as a brand. I want to thank you for making us the ESPN TV talk. Uh, moving on, we got some a little bit of a scene on a Sunday of all days uh, with, with mm-hmm. both half of our detective team with Duval at church and Rasmussen taking her, her walk. Uh, granted, it ended in very, very different ways, but let's mm-hmm. talk about Rasmussen's first. Uh, she's basically, like you said, very, very a solo person. Uh, wasn't with family. She was jogging on her own mm-hmm. with her animals. Just walk me through her psyche. You think she's going through her mind there? 
Yeah, she seems to be. She does, she, as she said before, she doesn't like to celebrate any of the little vi- victories. Mm-hmm. So to her, they have had no real reason to celebrate. It's been loss after loss after loss, and you could see that also in her jog when she's jogging and she finds the dead deer. And it's just, it's a very dark world she is in, even yeah. with her husband who's not cooperating. And we might touch on that in a little bit, but yeah, she's definitely, yeah, she's on her own. She's forcing herself to sort of be a solo person in this, and she's she's definitely in a darker place. Let's tack on this now, because I really feel that the Rasmussen's are, are, are definitely of a unique dynamic, right? They're husband mm-hmm. and wife. They're not they're not mad. They're not, like, fighting or anything, but it always seems a bit of air of distance there, and even it came to a bit of a head uh, later on this episode with Steve saying, hey, look, uh, you know, you're not emotionally present, but you're asking me for something that's beyond our relationship and our boundaries. I thought it was kind of interesting when she came back from her run early in the episode, and it was like, how was it, babe? And she was like, grim. And that was all they got. Just touch upon right. their relationship so far, just as a casual viewer. It, yeah, it, from this perspective, it doesn't seem like it's going great. Uh, of course, we're seeing a small window of it. I thought she was being very unfair to her husband. I get where she's coming from. I think if you have someone who has access to something that can help you in your job mm-hmm. that easily, it's easy to say, hey, come on, cut me some slack, help me out. But if you're an attorney general, you have very strict rules you have to follow. And there can be very, very big consequences for not following those rules. Sure. And so I think to a degree she needs to understand that she needs to be able to provide something more than just can you help me out Right. with uh, this. Absolutely. And I think that there is a bit of a play there with, with family and the role of. Um, but back to that Sunday scene, you had Duval in church uh, worshiping. Uh, mm-hmm. It looked like she was there on her own, and she noticed Amber from a from a previous from the actual case of a previous episode uh, worshiping as well, looking like Amber's looking for some kind of regain of control after her attack. She's obviously making decisions that she may find questionable. No judgments here. We're just watching the show. Right? Uh, how do you think Duval is going through that, knowing that one of her, one of her cases are are on a path that may be seen a little less than ideal? Amber has been the most interesting character in in a lot of ways and how when when the when the incident first happened when the rape first happened she was so calm and so in control it almost felt like it didn't really bother her like it was she treated it as if yeah the upstairs neighbor had a leak and it dripped through and I had to clean up all night what a what a pain mm-hmm. uh, but as time has gone on she has started to fall apart and crack so much more and it, going back to the fact that I think this show is very educational it's kind of educating us too that just because someone had a trauma and just because they're not showing it doesn't mean there's not things going on underneath the surface. Absolutely. And we're starting to see that with her now trying to find religion to deal with things, trying to obviously meeting other guys, uh, getting a gun, even though she said she was clearly against guns. Uh, she's definitely having trouble processing all these things and she's defensive she's got a wall up obviously because she doesn't want any other help beyond what she's finding on her own as far as the uh therapy groups or anything like that so it's been a really it's sad because you feel bad for all these women but she was someone when it first happened there's that part of you that's like, well, at least she's able to handle it okay. But you're realizing, right. no, that's not the case. Yeah, it's definitely something that's that's been hard for me to watch. Uh, not to say that 
that I, I had that experience personally, but I've known people have similar experiences where they try to find that, re, that the regain of control in their lives. And I thought it was very on point to, to try to find external solutions to problems. But when the suggestion of, hey, let's go to a group therapy, it was instantly shut down. It was like, look, I, I got this on my own. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out on my own. And there's that dynamic there where it's like, you have to let someone give their space during a traumatic experience, but you know these decisions can be potentially destructive. Not to say these are now, by gun isn't destructive inherently but these mm-hmm. can be destructive down the line so yeah that was that was kind of the one one scene i was like oh man amber no no yeah <laughs> yeah i was really sad for her because she said she does such a good job that the actress does such a good job of playing an endearing character and someone that you grow to like and want to be doing okay yeah. so when you see that she's not it makes you sad yeah, definitely developments are happening on bounds in this case. Uh, the team uh, gives the reports to Taggart, which seems to be uh, like the Greek chorus here almost. Uh, <laughs> I understand this scene was tense for a lot of different reasons. Um, just, I, I, how do you feel about Taggart now? Now you've, you've introduced him before, now he's actually in his role on this team. Are you a fan of the feds? Are you not like the guy? Or I think he's someone we can't really be sure of just yet. I think he's someone that has a lot of power and could help them a lot. But as mentioned, I think he's going to have an agenda of his own. And I think he's someone that, unless it helps him, he's not going to do certain things. I think he does not want to get caught up in any type of internal affairs investigation. I think he doesn't want to do things that could put him at risk in any way. and so Or one of his people at risk in any way. And that's why I think he was pushing back so much on the idea of it being someone in the police department. He did raise some good points, though, about the CSI and all this information being things that people could find. I like that they fronted that people are getting better at this because of CSI. Right. Which the CSI effect is something real. I think we talked about that about two episodes ago about, you know, you watch these shows where forensics is up front and center and then you think, you know, we have these expectations about timing is or what we can do technology-wise and keeping uh, clean crime scenes. Uh, Rasmussen walks out. Uh, for, for a moment right after Mia says she has gifts and she has like the different evidence pieces um, just an idea for me it didn't ring true to me I felt like that that would be a moment Grace would say oh okay we're getting there not to say she's like yeah we have evidence but definitely let's double down and, and get the guy but she walked away there I didn't mm-hmm. ring true for me I want to see how you felt personally about this I think her leaving had more to do with Taggart than the evidence okay. I think it was I think what happened there is it was another, it was another woman who found the evidence, another woman who pushed this forward, oh, okay. and it was a man every step of the way that was causing problems, or not causing problems, but not being able to provide more information or saying, wait, maybe this isn't the thing. And so I think after hearing all those things from Taggart saying, hey, it might not be a police officer, it might not be one of our guys, and then another female detective coming in and saying, hey, I found more information, let's go get the guy. Yeah her going great another it was a woman again we couldn't get one of the males to help find this person interesting perspective yeah i she said later on where is the outrage and i wrote that down in my notes and i was like yeah it's a good point i mean tiger is kind of stoic which is a good uh, thing to have but definitely you have some cases you want a little bit of fire there and it was kind of a uh, numbing i guess to see right well and i as a viewer, you get it because I feel like I feel the same way. He should be super angry that this is happening. I would think if I found out that someone here at After Buzz was committing crimes, I'd be angry. I right, wouldn't want. Absolutely. I wouldn't want to defend them. I would say, "Let's go find them. Who? Who is it?" But again, if you are someone like Taggart, or if you're in law enforcement, as crazy as it sounds, I'm sure you're. I mean, well, you are dealing with these terrible people all the time, and I think it's easy for those people to become a little 
callous to it. Yeah. And so when you find out that, oh, okay, there is someone out there committing crimes, it's like, yeah, I deal with a new person committing a crime literally every single day. Yeah. And so I think that's where he's coming from. Uh, of course, where Grace has mentioned it, she made a good point. I think if it was men being raped, he might not feel the same way. I think there's probably a good point to that. True, true. And uh, I guess it's still early to tell whether or not I am pro or anti-Tagger, but it definitely, these kind of character moments were, were great for me to help suss it out myself as a viewer. But the investigation, which is interesting to me, mm -hmm. uh, led, quote-unquote, the team, because we all did the not hit, touch your nose. Yes. yes. <laughs> but the Duval is going to Kansas. Uh, I'm not sure what was I expecting. I know she's still out there. Uh, maybe I, I was expecting a smoking gun, but uh, it was definitely one cool to see a change of scenery that it wasn't just a regional local thing but at two at the same time the flip side that hey look there are some complications even more than we even thought about this case yeah what made me what really kind of blew me away with that is this whole show we've been thinking this guy's been doing this since 2008 to 2011 this is a how many people has there been but this shows us it's been since 2000 yeah so it's been at least 11 years and it makes you think if from Kansas all the way to Washington, all the way to Colorado, it makes you realize just how big this could be. Right. And so that was the first thing that I took away with is, man, how long has this guy been doing this? How big is this case? How many people have been affected? And it's a it's a huge deal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that The moment I would say my heart sank is when she went to uh, the went to the evidence room and found the book. Uh, that was found in the dark web. Uh, I've heard other stories about that for other crimes, like there's there's other re like other textbooks, other way of other crimes. But I, I I guess I'm faulting myself for not assuming this. But there is a book that you can actually read uh, to learn more about how to have clean crime scenes. My heart sank because that opens up a whole other uh, array. Is it just one person? Are there copycats? Is it an organization? You know what can that be? Um, yeah, the it's it was really really sad to hear that to and to see that and it, yeah I, I agree now to hear that wow maybe there's just a lot of people who have this information not only does that mean maybe all the work you've done isn't any good mm -hmm. but maybe there are hundreds and thousands of people who can get away with it anytime they want because they know how to do it so that was a really sad thing to see it's a sad thing to know that someone will write a book on that it seems like that I mean I guess. Freedom of press, you're allowed to write whatever you want. But True. that seems like something that should probably get police's attention when they see someone publish a book like that. But, you know, again, freedom of press, you can do what you want. That's why we're on this yeah. show. We can say what we want. Absolutely fair. And then Duval takes to a local diner to read the book where one of the more peculiar scenes here, I want you to walk me through this, about the, the, the strange gentleman on the other side just eyeing Duval. you think that it was kind of like a, a fun little character beat for her? Or do you think there was something more there? I, I think there might be something more there. It was very interesting. As she sat there, she was enjoying her meal, reading the book, and this dude just keeps staring at her. like, And not trying to be discreet about it, just staring a hole right through her. Right. Then the uh, all the girls come in, he kind of checks them out, they leave, and he goes right back to looking at her until she stands up and he sees her bag. Yeah. And then he suddenly He's looks like, away. Oh, good. I don't know where this is going. I don't know if that's just to imply that 
hey, if you're a woman and you're alone, creeps look look at you. And that, again, maybe that's an educational thing for us men who don't have to deal with that all the time. Sure. Learn. But yeah, if you're a woman and you're alone, you get stared at. And yeah. maybe that was just her going, wow, I guess it, it can happen to anybody. Yeah. Before we go back in time to the other case, uh, James Massey is now a new person of interest. Uh, that was the subject of the argument that the Rasmussen's had about, about Steve getting information about them. With Grace going forward to have a fall softball team to get the information for James. Do you think... Well, that's a prediction. Let me go back. Uh, uh, about James Massey, is there a possibility that he may be the guy? You know, I've been feeling that way about a lot of their suspects so far. Um, so, I mean, they're sure they're, it, it, he could be the guy. It sounds like he fits a lot of the profile, but he... But we've been fooled before. It seems like he'd be very easy to figure out if he's the guy. Just check if he was in Kansas during that time and if he was in Colorado during those times. Is he worth pursuing, though, as a personal level, with with Steve saying, hey, look, with with Grace telling Steve, if if he does the attack again, it's on you. And Steve goes, nope, it's not. Uh, If it was me, I guess if I was Grace, I would take that as a sign going, okay, find a more on-the-level, above-board way of doing it. (laughs) But Grace took the the next uh, possible option. I like that she did that. It was a sneaky way of trying to get in contact with him. And I don't know if that's against the rules with a police work, but it was very similar to what Mia did earlier where she says she was trying to send out a card to all the veteran uh, police officers, and that's how she got Fair, all that inf- yes, information that's before. Point, point. So it, I thought, hey, I thought that was a clever way of getting information without being super o- obvious about it, and that's what you have to do if you've got to investigate police officers without telling everyone, hey, we're investigating police officers. So you're telling me that I should probably not be so hard on Grace. She's just investigating. That's what cops do. I'm telling you, if you get invited to join a softball league, you right. need to be, be careful. Very, well, because I have athletic ability. That's right. probably why I should be very wary. Uh, we go back in time to, to Marie's case, and now Marie is facing even more of life being thrown at her a bit. Uh, got told, hey, look, the, the it's too hot out there for you. We're mm-hmm. going to move you to the loading dock. That was actually my first job here when I worked in California, working the loading dock for a big retailer. Mm-hmm. My least favorite job of all time. Jack, what are you talking about that? I I honestly had to sympathize with the the manager. If you have that many people know, which clearly as soon as Marie walked in the room, everyone knew about that. I think it's probably a smart idea to keep her out of the public's eye at the store. Uh, It sucks for her, but that's kind of what you have to do if you're a business. Uh, But I I felt bad for her obviously being in this creepy loading dock with this creepy dude who... By the way, the worst possible joke you could ever play on someone. Oh, absolutely! That that, that was cre- that is one of the few times in this movie, in this show I got sorry, I cut you off. I got yeah. really upset. I was like, really, you if you know this, if you read it in the paper, you think standing on top of someone who was like a, a foot shorter than you, being like, I'm just messing with you, would be like, oh, I yeah. get it. I mean, really. Yeah, that's just. Ugh. But in, in, as a scene, what I liked about it and why what, what, what I thought it was great is you had that realization that Marie had lost all credibility, and so even if she was to go to her boss or to go to someone Good and point. say this happened, they'd say, "Come on, Marie, again, you're doing this again." Yeah, which again makes you feel terrible for her I, she, that she's in this situation where now even if something did happen, there no one's going to believe her. Right, and and that's something that complicates things with the conversation Colin and, Colleen and Judith have about what to do. There is another crime out there that's very very similar to Marie's, and there's a bit of a debate there. Do we even go back to the police officers and tell them that hey, look, Marie suffered something similar? It's too specific to be made up 
Or do we say, hey, look, the lawyer may work, uh, it may, may get her off, it, she may not be charged with, with false reporting, let's just keep our heads in the sand and lay low. I understand what, what we all think, we're at our armchair quarterback, what we would do, but that is a very, very real discussion. Jack, walk me yeah. through this, the pros and cons of going to the authorities with, uh, we're just, this is a new information. Yeah, I think that Judith is... I know her heart's in the right place, but her telling Marie that she needs to just sort of bury it and pretend like it never happened has to be one of the worst things you can do for somebody. Uh, I I think I'd be team Colleen on this one. Mm-hmm. I think going back to the police is something you have to do, not just for for the Marie's sake, but for everyone in the future's sake. I know it'd be awkward. It'd be tough. I think just confessing and saying I felt bullied into not going through with this or something has to be the right way to go. I know it's easy for me as a viewer who knows everything. Can I just a specific question, though? Would you do it the way Colleen did it by saying, okay, fine, and then making the call? Or would you be defiant and go, no, 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 we're making the call? Uh, you know that's a that's a that's a good question. I think that um, I would probably tell Judith that we need to do something, um, but one way or another, the call I think would have to get made. Absolutely, uh, that's definitely something you have to do, and it's hard to say because I know that there's like well, what I would do, and then what would actually happen. But I think that's right. definitely the right case there for her. Uh, Colleen calls Detective Baskerville, which is a brand new player in this mm-hmm. in this thing. Uh, Baskerville calls Parker, and Parker's like, "There's no victim. Don't even worry about it." But it did seem both men are in their minds after that phone call. I guess Parker's like, why is someone calling about this specifically? Baskerville's saying, why would someone come forward if it's a non-victim? <sighs> yeah, I. It's to me, I think Parker was basically just doubling down on what he said before, because if he said, oh my gosh, maybe we were wrong, that just looks bad on him. But after he hung up, he definitely seemed to have some reservations about that. And even when he put the case as closed, if you remember when he was looking at the pictures of Marie's hands being damaged from the shoelaces, he looked like he was a little regretful about that as well. But I think at the same time, he was glad to not have it on his desk anymore. Right. Um, So... It'll be interesting to see what happens next with the new case and the new detective in 2008 right. uh, looking into things. Uh, again, the the disappointment I have is clearly he doesn't get found until at least 2011. So right. it's, uh, it's, it's, it can't turn out very well for Marie right after this. Absolutely. I want to thank uh, all of you guys out here in the chat interacting with us, especially Glow Loves Jomo, who says, Judith was really pissing me off. How dare she? Yeah, I have yeah. to agree there. Uh, there is something to be said to say, hey, look, this is a process. We, we, we started a thing in motion. Let's do it. But to have someone... Um, quote-unquote came forward and say, hey, I lied about something, but realizing it's so specific just to say, let's just let, let's let external forces handle this instead of taking it on our own, it's a bit crazy, isn't it? It, it? it is, and especially after she was the one that put doubt in Parker's mind in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's almost like she's doubling down on her own disbelief of Marie, and that's costing Marie big. She seems very shady in this case. Sure. I, I don't understand why she doesn't want to believe her, her foster child at this point. Yeah. This far in. But again, we're watching as viewers and we have more information than they do. I hope something does come to light about that. But moving on, it's now time for our special segment. It's now time for Who Caught Ya? Yes, Who Caught Ya? 
So for all of you who are new to this, Who Caught Ya is just a fun little story about some criminal, some ne'er-do-well who got caught in a way that (laughs) did not go the way they planned. So today is a fun story about uh, a couple of British guys who had this idea of stealing an ATM. Now, Flobo, I'm not saying that they tried to steal money from the ATM. They wanted to steal the entire ATM. Wasn't that the plot point from the movie Barbershop of them stealing the ATM trying to get the money out of it? <laughs> this went just as well, too. So what happened was these guys say to themselves, we're going to put a chain around the ATM. We're going to put the chain to the back of the car. And then we're going to drive the car away. It's going to pull the ATM out of the ground. And we're going to drag the ATM with us to a quiet place where we can bust it open and take all the money out. Okay. So they, they go to the ATM. Lit some candles. They they <laughs> they they write they wrap up the ATM in a chain, they get the car ready, they drive away, and it rips the bumper off the back of the car. Yeah. So now they go, Oh my god, this isn't gonna work. Let's just get out of here before we're caught. So they drive away. Okay. And they leave the scene. And so of course police eventually find out and they go and they see this ATM still there. They see chains all wrapped around it, and to the end of the chains, what do they find? The bumper with the license plate. So the police yeah. obviously are able to quickly track down these guys. They get caught. So when they ask, who caught you? The ATM machine caught you. <laughs> so if they take the bumper, they have to buy a new one. So they actually lost money they in jail time. Lost- <laughs> <laughs> just, you guys are the worst co- uh, community ever. Uh, (laughs) Who caught you? The bumper caught you. I love that segment. It really is cool. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Moving on is now time for our new segment. Although you may be aware, Unbelievable has taken the world by storm, trending all over social media. It's first weekend of release over on Netflix. In fact, People Magazine over at People.com had a profile of the actual case that inspired this show. Now, we're not getting into spoilers and all that. We're not going to do that for you here. But they did kind of have a miniature profile of the victim, the proposed suspects, and, of course, the detectives. For example, in 2011, Golden Colorado Detective Stacey Galbraith, who was played by Kate Duvall, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, Merritt Weaver, Weaver's Kate Duvall character, reached out to Dr. to Detective Edna Hendershoot of nearby Westminster, Colorado, which is played mm. by Tony Collette yeah. or Grace Rasmussen, uh, to ask about a rape that sounded alarm bells. Uh, Galbraith met Edna Hendershot there. Uh, Hendershot um, had worked hundreds of previous rape cases, including the previous year, a case involving a 59-year-old Westminster woman who was raped by a man in a black mask who had stolen her pink camera, which is something that actually played a part in this series. So if you guys are on people.com, make sure you check out the profile. A lot of details are there. I can't guarantee you it's spoiler free, but it definitely has a bit of a real tinge to everything of unbelievable. And I tell you what, we were just talking about this before the show started, whether or not there's going to be a second season for Unbelievable. Um, I, I'm, only, I'm on board for sure. Yeah. But I would love to see a whole nother world, a whole nother, a whole nother crime, a whole nother detective and cast of characters. Yeah, I would be definitely on board for a season too. Yeah. Obviously, it would probably have to be a different entirely different crime but the way they set the show up and the way they have their details and everything in line i love this show i am all in for season two all right cool well you know that is it's now time for predictions my favorite sound drop now it is isn't it i imagine a a mad scientist uh with lightning crackling in the background i i I imagine a a guy in a wooden shack in the middle of the desert you know waiting for (laughs) ufos to show up but that's just me right right (laughs) 
So predictions. So predictions. five episodes in, we got three more to go. Six, seven, eight. Just so to to eagle-eyed viewers and eagle-eared listeners. Uh, I have made a number of predictions, and not a single one of them has come correct. Good odds, good but odds. but this is my this is my my prediction. I'm throwing it out there. It's a hail mary. Okay. I think the I I think the cop that was Parker's uh, partner. Okay. I think he's the guy. Do you think he's? The I think he's the guy. I'm gonna I'm I'm pegging him. Wait wait wait. Walk me he's through this. He's the guy. I, I got I got. Who caught you? No no no. Jack caught you. <laughs> Why do you? Th- okay. Walk me through this. You got to give me some kind of evidence. You just can't be like, I believe this person. Is there something shady about him? Is there yes. Something- yeah, I think that's why he bullied her into not into not moving forward. I think that's why he is uh, trying to prosecute Marie for trying to uh, make the false claim. I think he's trying to get her out of the way. I think he got put... Because he wasn't there originally mm-hmm. in the very, very, very original investigation. He came along once they brought Marie so into not, the uh So you're saying not Parker, but Pruitt. You're saying Pruitt, Pruitt, Pruitt De- that's his Detective name. Pruitt, yeah, Pruitt is, is the one that Pruitt. Okay, that's a prediction. That's uh, my prediction. I, I'm not sure if that that's going to be Okay, yeah, I, that's what the whole thing is about predictions. I I feel feet here, to the fire. Who did it? Here's my prediction. I don't think this person of interest James Massey did it, but I do think James Massey has a first degree connection to the person who did. So I'm going to say an hmm. accomplice. I'm going to say James Massey is an accomplice, not the actual perpetrator. That is my prediction going into episode six, seven, and eight. Do you th- do you think there's more than one person doing this? Uh, as far as like actually committing the crimes, no. But I do think there is a bit of a network where there was a safe house thing or a way to get tools or a way to help out kind of a thing. I don't think it's one person on their own who just somehow has to be unprovoked. I think there's a network there. Whether it was an accomplice uh, or more than one accomplice, that's what I feel. You know who his accomplice could be? Pruitt! He's not even... I disagree. <laughs> I, I completely disagree. Uh, but we're running out of time here. Uh, Jack, just overall thoughts of the show, closing statements, and uh, where can the world find you online? I am really excited about this show. I love how where it's going. Can't wait to find out more about what happens in Kansas. We've only just started sc- scratching the surface there and I cannot wait to see what happens in episode 6. As far as where to find me online, you can find me at jackcfarmer.com as well as at realjackfarmer across all social media. Let's keep the conversation going. The show is only the first part. The rest of it happens on Twitter. Let me know what you think. No spoilers though. Absolutely. I, for one, just a little bit of a fun note. I love the fact that Duval swore on today's episode. My name is Flobo Boys. I'm available at Flobo Boys on Twitter, at Flobito on Instagram, and of course, Flobito.com. We'll be back here later today with episode six. But until then, I'll buzz you later. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. (laughs) The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.